I'm excited about getting into the word this morning. We're going to continue our series on faith and work. And I'd like to build on some of the things that we've already talked about in this series. At the very beginning of this series, I opened up and I, I shared kind of an overview of how the gospel shapes uh, our view of work, how we do our work, and why we do our work. And just kind of gave a, a biblical view of of work and, and then how it, the gospel shapes that. And then uh, uh, Kevin shared on two weeks ago on discipleship in the marketplace. Pastor Mike shared on the, the priesthood of believers being a priest and, and exercising our pre- priestly roles as uh, ministers from 1 Peter chapter 2. And then last week we talked about making the gospel look good uh, through our character, our conduct, and our conversation from Titus 2. And uh, today I'd like to focus on the idea of working for the Lord on your job. Working for the Lord on your job and we're going to launch from Ephesians chapter 6. And before we get started, I want to ask you the question, why do you do your job? Why do you show up? Why do you punch in the clock? Why do you do your work? Do you do it for a paycheck? Do you do it for a position? A higher position, a better position? Is, is your current job just a, a stepping stone for you to get to another job? Do you do it for notoriety, for, for a reputation? or Why do you do your job? Do you do it for the glory of God? Do you do it for His honor, for His fame? As we see in, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul gives us some why of why Christians should do their job, specifically bondservants or slaves in that day. And he also gives some how how to execute that, how to adorn the gospel and make the gospel look good in the workplace. So Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to read from verse 5 to 9. Father, as we open up the scriptures, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would encourage each one of us, and that you would move us onto your agenda, and that in our workplace and with our work relationships that we would advance your agenda in those places. And I pray for anybody who's discouraged in their work, discouraged and weary and need needs fresh perspective, I pray that you would bring renewal of strength and perspective this morning. And that we would live and work in such a way that the gospel is made attractive to outsiders, that your name is exalted and that we do much good to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 6, verse 5. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as, ple- as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Masters do the same and stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. And all God's people said, Amen. Before we, we move into our big idea and, and, and what I'm, I want to emphasize from this text this morning, I want to address the issue of first century slavery. 
made some comments about this, uh, and, and we've, we've referred to this, uh, a few times, and I feel like it needs to, to we need a little background here if we're gonna move forward and even talk about this passage or, and, and how this applies to us in our day. Uh, because we don't live in a society where there are, where slavery is acceptable. It's been abolished, praise God. Amen? So, so here's a couple things here that I'd like to, to explain about this. Uh, first, in the first century, one out of three persons in Rome and one out of five elsewhere was a slave. So a person could become a slave as a result of a capture in war, a default of debt, inability to support and voluntarily selling oneself, being sold as a child by destitute parents, birth to slave parents, conviction of a crime, or kidnapping, or piracy. Unlike slavery that arose in the Americas in the 1600s, slavery in the ancient world was radically indiscriminate, cutting across racial, social, and national lines. And so I want to kind of help us kind of get some backdrop here of of Paul addressing the people of his day and the addressing in, in Ephesians chapter six here and, and, and five and, and in Colossians three, Paul is addressing households, household codes. So husbands, wives, children, slaves. He's addressing how that they, how they should live within the institution, within the households, within the structures that are already set up in in their day. And, and some have argued, those who are skeptics of Christianity, some have argued that the Bible commends and condones slavery. And so I want to push back on that a little bit because I think that's, that's something that's, that will come up. It's come up in conversations that I've had with skeptics about Christianity who would say, well, the Bible, you know, they're, you know, they're Paul's telling slaves to obey their masters. And those very verses have been used even in um, uh, uh, slavery in America, to endorse and condone slavery. First of all, just point out that there's there's a there's some differences between first century slavery and the slavery that we we've seen here in America. And um, and so so the first thing John Stott says this. He says that first Christians were in uh, in answering the question why weren't Christians the apostles stronger in in their address of the issue of slavery in their day. So why didn't why didn't Paul and Peter just say, you know, all you masters let your slaves go. Like slavery should just stop right now. Okay? So Stott responds to that question there of first Christians were an insignificant group in the Roman Empire during the 1st century and were politically powerless. I mean, just think how effective would that be to the cause of Christianity and advancing the gospel if if the apostles just said, slave owners, just just let go, let release your slaves, and then Christianity just kind of gets persecution intensifies, and it's seen as as a group of people trying to revolt against the government and overtake the government and the structures. Secondly. Uh, it was it was fairly easy to make a transition from slavery to freedom, and there was a growing tendency for Romans to free their slaves and even establish them in a trade or profession. Okay, so it wasn't a permanent thing; it didn't have to be a permanent thing always. And third, by this time, the legal status of slaves was beginning to be eased and show signs of 
further improvement. David Garland says this. He says, Paul does not sanctify slavery with his commands, but subtly undermines its very premises while encouraging obedience as an expression of loyalty to the family group. F.F. Bruce says this, while what Paul's letters do is to bring us into an atmosphere in which the institution of slavery could only wilt and die. Amen, I love that. Because that's eventually what happened. And it was Christians, Christian thinkers and Christian convictions that moved political leaders and preachers to preach against and stand against the horrible treatment of, of human beings made in the image of God. And so I just want to say that because there, there, there is, there, we do have human trafficking and we do have some issues of slavery, some forms of it in our day, even here in America, uh, under the radar, so to speak. Um, and, and it's an evil thing to treat a human being who's made in the image of God like a piece of property. It's just wrong, okay? And so the Bible teaches that we're made in the image of God, that every person has dignity and value regardless of race and color or uh, social status. Every person is valuable uh, in the, the eyes of God, amen? I just want to address that briefly. I think that um, what Paul did say and what Peter did say and, and, and how the issue was addressed was radical in the first century, uh, if, if the, if, if slavery just halted in the first century, um, you know, in industry and work and so many things would be dismantled because it was so integrated and interwoven within the society. There were a lot of things that couldn't really work in that day if you just stopped slavery. And, and so, so the, the, the gospel has a way of transforming the relationships uh, around these social orders. Um, Paul wasn't so much in, in his epistle in Ephesians and Colossians when he addresses slaves, he wasn't so much addressing the, inst- he wasn't addressing the institution of slavery. He wasn't saying, you know, this is a good institution, but he was encouraging and equipping and instructing Christians who lived within a, a, a government, a structure that already existed and how to make the best use of their time and their opportunities, how to live well within that structure. So he's writing families, he's writing slaves who the next day on Monday would go back to work. He's addressing how do they live on Monday? How, how, how do we live Monday through Friday, the rest of the week? How do we carry ourselves as, as slaves? I, I think that this text here, because he's addressing slaves, we may feel that it's disconnected to us and irrelevant to us. But I would say that there are principles here for those of us who are employees of, of businesses. While I wouldn't equate slavery to employee and employer uh, equally, you know, there's not a one for one tit for tat uh, that, that you can connect the dots. But there are some principles here that I believe Paul gives Christians and how to do their work and why to do their work and and how we can do that well and maintain a good, solid gospel witness in our workplace. I'm sorry for taking so much time on that backdrop. I don't think there's anybody here who's really struggling with this particular issue, but I've had conversations with people that have, and I just want to want to give some some reasons here. And if we have some Q&A afterwards, we can talk more about that. 
So here's the big idea from with where we're going from the text this morning. God calls us, he calls his people to serve him in their work with an attitude of submission, respect, sincerity, and service. God calls his people to serve him in their work with an attitude of submission, respect, sincerity, and service. Notice verse 5 here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and with trembling. Okay, uh, Titus 2, as I preached on last week, says bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, showing all good faith that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Okay, so the first principle here or characteristic, I think, that that Paul calls us to, as Christians, to walk in, in our work, is to have this attitude of submission. This should mark spirit-filled Christians. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, be filled, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking psalms and hymns to one another, singing psalms and hymns to one another, uh, giving thanks to the Lord always, submitting to one another in reverence for Christ. I believe that, that submission to, to others, and specifically the body of Christ, is a mark of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a posture of humility. And it's a posture of humility that even our Lord Jesus himself took on and he humbled himself and he submitted himself and he lived within the structures of authority that that existed. I mean, remember what Jesus told Pilate as he's standing before Pilate and Pilate's like, don't you know that I have the power to crucify you? And what did Jesus say? You have you wouldn't have any power at all unless it had been given to you from above. Jesus recognized that the Father had given authority uh, to, to Pilate, that, that the Father had was directing Jesus to the cross, and Jesus submitted to that suffering and going to the cross. Jesus is our example. In First Peter, Peter addresses um, servants or slaves as well. And he says, be subject to your masters with all respect. Only, not only the good and the gentle, but also to the just. Okay, so what do you do when your boss or manager or supervisor is a jerk? What do you do when he's harsh or she's harsh, she's unkind, she's unreasonable? And work is just really hard. I mean, work's hard already with, even when you got great people that you work with. Work can be toilsome and difficult and frustrating and disappointing and discouraging. And we work to the sweat of our brow and, and it can be very difficult. But then you add in co-workers or bosses who are unreasonable and unkind and harsh. And it makes work more difficult, right? And so so Peter and Paul would both say, don't, don't respond and retaliate and don't be passive aggressive and, and 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 try to get back at your 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 mean bosses right be subject to them be have this posture of submission with respect respect them even if they're not respectable people even if their conduct isn't respectable respect them for the position's sake respect them cuz they're they're people made in the image of God show respect to all people 
Be submissive. Um, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God who endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when your sin, when, if when you sin, you're beaten for it, you endure. But if you do good and suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow his footsteps. And he goes on to explain Christ's example. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus submitted himself and committed himself to the Father's will. He drank the cup of suffering and difficulty on our behalf. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in, in his body on the tree so that we might die, that, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Living like this is how we make the gospel look good to our employees, employers, those around us, those when we have this posture of submission. And and one of the key things to do this is to recognize the ultimate authority behind the earthly authorities. It's hard to do this if you just look at your boss whether he's a good boss or, or a mean boss, it's hard to, to submit and, and do what he says, right? Uh, when he's being un, unreasonable and un, unbearable. Uh, but when you see that ultimately God is your master, God is your boss, God is your supervisor, and he sees you can do your work as to the Lord and not to man. And it gives meaning and value and dignity even in the mundane little things of our work that seem very insignificant. And so we have a, we have an example to follow. Now I must say this too, in talking about submission and obedience to, and, and, and the word obedience is even stronger than the word submission. We, we should do what our bosses tell us, right? We should. For the name of God, for, for Christ's sake, the gospel's sake, for our own well-being. But, but there is a time when it's appropriate not to do what our bosses say. And that's when they tell us to do something unlawful, unbiblical, immoral, something that's just clearly wrong and violates our conscience. So what do we do when we're put in that position? Some of us here may have been put in that position where your boss or supervisor has told you to do something unethical, unbiblical, unrighteous. How do you respond to that? And I would, I would simply say, make an appeal. Make a godly appeal to them. If they're asking you to do something that is against your biblical values and is clearly sin, it's a lie, it's, it's theft, it's immoral, it's wrong, appeal to them, talk to them, and be willing, and, and if you get in trouble, be willing to uh, suffer, if you will. Uh, you may lose your job for not doing something unethical and unbiblical, right? But it's worth it if you stand for what's righteous. Just don't be... Don't be somebody who loses their job for being insubordinate to something that's reasonable and it's it's not out of biblical limits. Okay, um, so the the term for not being submissive is insubordination. 
And that is a, a reason for termination in many workplaces. And so that shouldn't be the case if, if we're being asked to do something that's legitimately, that's, that's not bad. Uh, we should do what we're, what we're, we're told to do. Uh, and we should do it with sincerity. Bond servants are, uh, employees are to have an attitude of sincerity. Don't just obey externally. Don't just submit externally. Going through the motions, doing what you're supposed to do with a way of eye service, verse 6 says, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. This takes some heart examination. This takes some evaluating our hearts and dealing with heart motives and, and, and searching, asking God to search you and change you and help you and transform you. We as Christians should be those who put our heart into our work. We don't just do it for a paycheck. We don't do it just to make our, our bosses happy. Ultimately, we are to do what we do Because God sees and we are seeking to honor Him and please Him. We work as to the Lord and not to man. So we're to have an attitude of sincerity. We're to have a sense of integrity about us. Not being hypocritical. Not being one person when people are around and eyes are watching us. And then another person when they're not. We should be those who are real and sincere and and do what we do as as an obedience to the the will of God have you ever thought about doing your tasks that you're asked at work as a way of doing the will of God from your heart have you ever considered that if your boss asked you to do something have you ever considered that that very thing may be the will doing the will of God from your heart uh, so we shouldn't be those who just merely work with eye service. We should be sincere. We should have this posture of sincerity, this posture of submission, this posture of respect uh, towards our employers when we work. And then the, the, the next thing here is that we should have an attitude of service. And this is, this is huge. Uh, verse 7 says, Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he is free. All of work, all of work is an act of service and should be seen as an act of service. We shouldn't view our work as something to get people to serve us. Come wash my feet, guys. Come scratch my back, guys. We should have this posture of service towards God and towards others. And these are the kind of people that do well in the workplace. People who've learned to to be good at customer service. You serve the customer. You serve well. You serve with a joyful attitude, a respectful attitude. You serve diligently. You put your heart into your work. And even masters should have this mindset. Even those who are employers, who have people under authority. I think the good CEOs and the good supervisors and those who who have people under them are those who have this mindset that they're going to serve those underneath them, under their authority. That's the way of Jesus. So all of our work is to be seen as an act of service. I mean, let's just just name what, what do you do? Let's just name some jobs here. 
What do you do? Engineer. Engineer. Act of service. You're serving people in some ways. Speech pathologist. Act of service. Teacher. Act of service. Chaplain. Act of service. Huh? Call center. Act of service. And you get, you get those who may not be so happy with the service, right? And you gotta manage that, right? And what else? Missions coordinator, act of service. Nurse, act of service. Anybody else? Furniture sales, act of service. Hey, you guys are sitting on furniture right now. Somebody had to sell this furniture. And it, it had to get here through a salesperson at some point, right? And so this idea that, that all of work is an act of service should, should permeate our thinking. I think we get into trouble and intention and quarrels and fights when we start thinking, you guys need to be serving me, right? When we have that mindset, this caste system mindset, like you guys are down here, we're up here. I don't know if you've been to, in, in the hospitals, sometimes you can see um, the way uh, maybe a, a nurse is treated versus the, the high up doctor or the janitor who comes in. Uh, or or ha, how about when, you, when you're at a restaurant? How do you treat those who are serving your table, serving you food at a restaurant? So, so all of work is to be seen as an act of service. And I think what, what energizes and motivates us and helps us to, to do what we do well is to always remember that ultimately we are serving God in our work. Ultimately, though there may be some ungrateful people who don't appreciate all your hard work and your long hours and the toil and the sacrifice that you put in to your work and they may not be pleased with your product or your service, You can do what you're doing knowing that God sees and that God will reward what you're doing. Uh, This verse, verse 7 says, Rendering service with good will as to the Lord, not to man. Do you sincerely want good for your employers and your employees and those that you're working with and those who you're working for? Do you sincerely want to see your company succeed or do you just see it as a, as a stepping stone for you to go on to bigger, better things? Do you see people as stepping stones for you so that you can get to that higher position or get that promotion? You see, the Christian mindset shouldn't be like that. C- climbing the corporate ladder, stepping on whoever we need to step on to get up to that high position. The way of Jesus and the kingdom of God is paradox. It's different. It's counterculture. If you want to be great, if you want to be up there, Jesus says, get down here and serve. You wash feet, you help people, you serve people. And if Jesus, our Lord, who came down from heaven, who possessed highest authority, lowered himself and humbled himself, surely we can humble ourselves to serve others and have this mindset of a servant. Paul, in Philippians chapter 2, explicitly exhorts Christians in Philippi to have this way of thinking. Verse 4 Let each one of you look not only on his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, or have this attitude, have this mindset, have this paradigm among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not 
did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I think many workplaces would be transformed. The atmosphere would be completely different if the employees, employers took on this mindset, had this humble mindset, this approach that I'm going to serve you guys today. I love one of the things Kevin said that, that he, he's done at work is he would do, he would work really hard to get his, his task done so that he can be available to help other people with their task at their workplace. I think that's great. I think we should consider others and, uh, in, in our workplace and serve others. Jesus told his disciples after he got done washing their feet, if I, your Lord and your master have done this, you being my disciples, how much more should you do it? You should do it as well. You know these things. John 13, 17. You know these things, but blessed are you if you do them. See, if you really want to experience the joy and the blessing in your workplace or just in any relationship, obey Jesus' command to serve people, to wash feet, be willing to do what may seem undignified, like low, mundane, base work for the sake of serving others and know that ultimately you're doing it for God. So you can do it with joy, whatever that task may be. The gospel changes and challenges the mindset of looking down upon manual labor and exalting more sophisticated kind of work. It changes how we view our work. Okay, so Jesus is our example of service and submission, even in the midst of suffering, even when he was unjustly being accused, being beaten, being mocked, Jesus took it. Now, and I, I would say this too, there, there's, there's a time to report abuse. If there's abuse, there's sexual harassment, or if there's unbearable abuse in the workplace, there are laws that will protect you. You can make an appeal to your boss, and then there are laws that will help protect those who are being unjustly uh, abused and accused. So, so here's some of the why behind why we should do our work well. Number one is just for, for the glory of God's name. You Christian bear the name of Jesus. And people who see you and, and they know you're a Christian will associate how you live with Christianity, whether you realize it or not. And so for the glory of His name, so that God's name is not reviled because of Christians who don't do their work well. For the gospel's sake, you, Christian, who bear the name of Jesus, who have the message of the gospel, who've been transformed by the gospel, you can help show how beautiful the gospel really is through working well and serving others in your workplace. Titus 2.10 And then for the good of others, this mindset that we are going to serve others, we're going to do good to others, that is one way, if, if, if work is not fulfilling to you, if, if, if what you're doing, there's not some satisfaction in it, try taking on this mindset that you're going to do good to others in your workplace. You're going to serve others. You'll find joy in that. Jesus said you would. John 13, 17. Jesus said, 
It's more blessed to give than to receive as well. It's a similar principle. And then lastly, for the reward that comes from God when you're faithful and you're diligent and you do what you're supposed to do as a Christian in your workplace, God sees that. And He will reward you openly, though you may not be appreciated by your boss or your co-workers. Though you may feel overlooked and underappreciated, know that God sees you. And He's not unjust to forget your labor. He's not unjust to forget or or not see your, your, your faithfulness in the workplace. Some Christians would push back on the idea that we should be motivated by reward from God. But I think biblically we see all over uh, in, in the Bible that that, uh, that is a legitimate motivation to be motivated by reward. It's not the only thing that we're motivated by, but it's one legitimate motivation. God will repay, Ephesians 6 says, whether good, whether you've done good or whether you've done bad. There's no partiality with him. Just the fact that Paul addresses bondservants or slaves gives dignity and value to them. Because slaves were seen as property. Not so much people. Maybe they were seen as more subhuman and they were seen as property, right? And so the fact that Paul spends time addressing them with dignity, giving responsibility to them, that communicates value to slaves, all right? And he not only, he addresses slaves and he addresses masters. So verse 10, or verse 9, I'm sorry. Uh, he addresses masters and this is what he says. Masters, do the same. Do the same, okay? So there's some similarity here. The posture of service, the posture of, of reverence towards God, knowing that ultimately there's a there's a master in heaven that we must give an account to. Let that inform how you work. Masters, do the same. Stop threatening, knowing that he who is both ma- their master and yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. And so if you have authority in your workplace, you're a supervisor, you're an employer, don't use threats. There's a difference between giving a warning and giving a threat. Don't, don't quickly pull out the threat. Don't pull out the threats. Don't, don't be unjust. Uh, uh, Colossians chapter uh, 4 says, Masters, don't be uh, unjust and don't deal. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So this should inform and this should shape how we do our work and why we do our work, knowing that God ultimately is our boss and we have to give an account to him. And I'm going to land the plane here in application. So examine your your own heart. Asking yourself, am I really putting my heart into my work with the aim to serve God and to do good to others? Am I really putting my heart, am I working heartily as to the Lord and not unto man, knowing that from Him I'm going to receive my reward? Am I submissive to those who God has placed in authority over me in the workplace? Do I honor their authority? Do I respect their authority? Or do I undermine it and uh, disrespect them and say things I shouldn't and, and have attitudes that I shouldn't have towards them? And then do I, do I work with integrity and diligence and respect and consideration for others? Or do I just trample people as I get the task done? Remember who you are ultimately working for. 
This will energize and sustain faithful, diligent work. And then genuinely seek the good of your employers and coworkers. Do you really want what's best, the success and the well-being and prosperity of those who you work for? <clears throat> Christians should seek that in the workplace for their employers, for the coworkers, for our city. We should seek the good and the well-being of our city. I've had some some supervisors in the past that have been harsh and unkind and have done some things that were they thought were, were funny and and I didn't. I was frustrated. I I remember one time I was I was uh I was fabricating some sofas um in the at work and it's it's kind of a oily there was this oily substance stuff that we spray on sofas and and I was pumping the 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 fabric uh, protector, and as I was doing so, there, it, I guess it, there was a hole or it was loosened, and and as I was pumping, and it just squirted up in my face, came down on my head, and my supervisor just like cracking up, just laughing, and he knew it was going to happen. He knew he was kind of playing a joke on me. He knew that it was a defaulty um, uh, sprayer or whatever. And God, even though I, you know, had, had some folks like that that I've worked underneath, God used those people to shape my character. God used those people to, to do some work in me. So I could, I could rise up and be like, man, I'm reporting this guy. I'm going to, I'm going to the manager right now. I could make a big, you know, fuss over how I, I felt unjustly treated, you know, I'm working down here in quality control, polishing furniture, trying to do my job, and this guy's playing a joke on me, right? Um, or I could embrace the character that God's trying to shape and form in me through the difficulty, the hot, sweaty, hard work that I was experiencing in that season of my life. See, sometimes we want to get get out of the fire too quickly, get out of the oven too quickly, and God is preparing something beautiful in our lives, if we'll embrace it. I love in, in the Old Testament, we see King David who had this mindset of God's sovereignty and, and just submitted to, he, he had, he had a king, Saul, that he was serving who was trying to kill him. He was trying, he was throwing spears at him. He, David was on the run for his life. And, 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 and he was hiding with his men, uh, from Saul and his army. And there's this guy, I think his name was Shimei, and he's like, He's like cursing David. He, like he, he's talking smack to David. And David's a warrior. And his men are warriors. And they, one of his men were like, let me just cut this dude's head off. And David's like, no, don't do it. Perhaps through his, his cursing, perhaps God is going to bring blessing upon my life. He had this mindset, ultimately, that God's sovereign, that God's in control, David wasn't going to try to take matters into his own hand, cut this guy's head off. David knew that God is the ultimate master, that God is the ultimate authority. That will help us, encourage us when we're being uh, treated unjustly and unkind. And we should do what we do with excellence, with diligence, with, with integrity, with respect, with consideration for others, with the motive to glorify God, to do good to others. Amen? All right, well, let's close in prayer here. Father, thank you so much for your word. That's a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And as we have looked at some application here, 
to how to live out the gospel in our workplaces, would you give us grace and empower us by your spirit to do so? Give us wisdom and strategy. I pray that next Sunday we would have many more testimonies just simply from applying some of these truths to our lives and our our work and our relationships and that we would have more and more testimonies of you at work as we we join you in, in advancing your agenda. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. May the Lord... Be gracious to you and lift up the light of his countenance on you. And may he give you his peace. Amen.